I will confess to you that I think I may have been a little ambitious tonight, even as we're doing a recap, when considering uh, Revelation 9, 13, all the way through 10, 11. So I think we'll just do um, 13 uh, through verse 21 and the end of the chapter. I got a text this afternoon from Grant Lowe uh, that said... Um, in reflection on the sermon this morning, uh, this quote came to mind, and it was a C.S. Lewis quote um, that I had not come across before. If I do, I don't remember. It may be the, on the first page of Mere Christianity, but I, if it is, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. And Lewis said, um, It is not that we doubt that God works all things for our good. It's that we ponder how hard His best good will be. And such is exactly the case for the believers in the midst of the tribulation as we pick up in chapter 9, verse 13 through 21 with the sixth trumpet. And it says in verse 13 that the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a loud voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. For So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and the fire and the smoke and the sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorcery or their sexual immorality or their thefts the blowing of the sixth trumpet does not begin with the trumpet itself but instead begins with a voice that comes from the altar one of the things one of the things that I cherish about Daniel and the book of the Revelation is the manner in which you see consistently placed in front of the mind of the people of God that salvation and judgment go hand in hand. That they are two sides of the same coin. That the very 
the very means by which propitiation was brought to me and to you, the very gospel of Jesus Christ, by which, according to the book of Hebrews, Christ walked into the true temple in heaven, not the one that was built as a shadow on a copy by human hands, but walked into the true temple and by means of His own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats and slaughtered lambs, but of the true Lamb of God, walked into the temple and made propitiation for your sin and and for mine. It is that same scene with that same temple and that same throne and that same altar by which the judgment of sin comes. You see, you can't have the Gospel. You can't have the good news. You can't have salvation unless there is something to be saved from. A voice that comes from the altar. The altar of incense where we saw in Revelation chapter 8 that the very prayers of the saints are being offered before the Father. The actual, tangible, put it in bowls, pour it out on the altar. Prayers of the saints that have pleaded with the Lord for justice for His people for millennium. Justice and vengeance for their blood spilled. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. And as this number comes to completion, the moment, the moment of God's perfect timing is at hand. It is said that these angels were prepared for the year, the day, and the hour. When I look at what's on this prayer request list tonight, it occurs to me that our Lord prepares for the year, the day, and the hour. All the way down to the moment when His good purpose will be fulfilled. Sometimes it's glorious. Man, sometimes you see people set free. Um, as a matter of fact, without going into a lot of uh, detail that I don't need to go into, uh, man, Thursday was a good day for Mount Zion. Good day. There was some stuff appointed that occurred. And, and blessing and, and freedom came. Some of that's still working itself out, even tonight. And that's awesome, too. Some things are hard. Some things are hard. Man, my heart goes out for Susie tonight. I mean, having your 92-year-old mama go through the kind of surgery she went through, I mean, they cut her big time, only to have her turn around and fall and break her hip. Some things are hard. But it is all appointed. And so here we see a people who have been going through stuff that by Christ's own admission in Matthew 24 is harder than anything 
that any of the saints have ever gone through before. And that's saying something. Because I mean we're talking man, if you you look back to 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 first and second chronicles and first and second kings and read what the Assyrian invasion of northern Israel was like, well, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, Tolkien based the orc horde off the Syrian invasion. It was one of the most brutal things in human history. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says, it ain't got nothing on this. That there's never been anything like this. And there will never be anything like this again. That this is the one. There are four angels bound at the river Euphrates that will be unbound. The very boundary of the promised land, the demarcation line that God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, that said, this is the place that I have prepared for you, the very gospel that was proclaimed to Abraham, that in which he believed the day of Christ that he saw and rejoiced in. Much like the bottomless pit, we understand that these angels are spiritual realities that are coexistent with a physical location and yet inaccessible at the present time. Because you can go diving in the river Euphrates all you want and you ain't going to find these four until that day. In the Father's perfect sovereignty, they were prepared for a purpose for this very exact year, month, day, and hour. And their activity is something that mankind has never seen. Mounted troops, a cavalry 200 million strong, riding what seemed to be horses, wearing breastplates of fire, sapphire, and sulfur, tails that wound, heads that bring plague, fire, smoke, and sulfur. They're said to have heads like lion's heads and tails like that of serpents. We go from four to 200 million. How do you go from four angels to a 200 million? I mean, you got four angels bound at the river Euphrates that were given for this, this year and this month and this day and this hour. And you release these four angels and the next thing you know, you've got 200 million strong demonic cavalry. <coughs> I think we find the answer in Ephesians chapter 6. Man, the book of Ephesians. One of these days, guys. One of these days. It's not going to be next. Um, we're going to a gospel next. I think it's where the Lord has us. Talk to the elders about it. I haven't let that out of the bag until now, but there it is. Uh, so <laughs> we won't tell you which one. It won't be the Gospel of John again. How about that? <laughs> We're going to a Gospel next. But one of these days, Ephesians. Man, Ephesians has got some stuff in it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now this is, we spent a lot of time here a couple years ago um, in Family of God camp. Um, this is a section of scripture that is often quoted um, and unfortunately is often kind of um, turned into a caricature of itself, uh, which, you know, to some degree is, is fine if you're teaching three and four-year-olds, but we don't want to stay there as, as, as we grow, you know, into maturity. Um, what Paul says is profound. He says the nature of these beings is not just that they are, but there is a very particular hierarchy that is associated with them. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but instead against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. These that he calls rulers define the arches in the Greek as the beginning ones. This is where it starts. The authorities, the exosius, literally means unhindered ones. Those that have been let off the leash. Which is something very similar to what you are seeing here in Revelation chapter 9. These four angels that have been bound apparently since the creation at the river Euphrates are being unbound. They are being let off the leash, but it doesn't end there. It's, it's not just the beginning ones and the unhindered ones. He speaks about the cosmos, the, the cosmic powers, literally the cosmos kratoris. It's a compound word in the Greek. Cosmos means world and krateo means to hold in the hand. The beginning ones, the unhindered ones, the world holders, the pneumaticos, the dominant spirits of evil in heavenly places. There is a hierarchy here. What is being released is not simply four demons. What's being released is something along the lines of four generals or four admirals somebody way up the food chain, somebody that is able between the four of them to command a demonic cavalry that is literally 200 million strong. Man. What Christ said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation sitting in the most holy place, what you should do is run. I'm all, hey man, I'm all about prepping. All about it. I'm all about prepping for natural disaster, social disorder, economic collapse. You can't prep for this. Jesus said there's no prepping for this. What you do when this comes is you run because there's never been anything like this before. And there will be one thing in that day that will provide for you. And it will be the seal of the promise of the Son of God on your forehead. And that's it. That's it. 
because all the beans and the rice in the world, all the shotgun shells, won't provide for a demonic cavalry that's 200 million strong. The events of the six trumpets are not first foretold in Revelation chapter 9. They're first foretold in the book of Joel in chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 where it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. The day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before nor will ever be again. It will never be like this again. After them through the years of all generations fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses. They run as with rumbling chariots. They leap on the tops of the mountains like crackling of the flame of fire devouring the stubble like a powerful army they draw up for battle. And yet as powerful as they are, resulting in the death of 33%, I guess technically 33.333 ad nauseum, one-third of the population of the planet dies before them. And yet, I think if you want to look at all of chapter 9 and all of just the, the the overwhelming statements that are made there about the nature of this calamity and about the absolute veracity of God's judgment. I think the most telling statement is in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent and not only did they did not repent but specifically they did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up the worshiping of demons the very demons that are the means by which a third of mankind has just been slaughtered they are literally worshiping their own destruction and you want to talk about total depravity guys this is total depravity on parade They're worshiping their own destruction. And even in the midst of it, they prefer it over bowing a knee and confessing with their tongue to a God that would save them in a moment. If they would just ask Man, that's heavy stuff. And what Christ said of them was true. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. 
when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the very father of lies. What you see here is truly the definition of insanity. And in the midst of it, right smack in the midst, beginning in chapter 10 and stretching all the way through chapter 11 is the testimony of the manner in which Christ provides for His people. As the earth is literally, literally going to hell, Christ is making provision for those that are His own. He is sealing them. He is guarding them. He is keeping them. He's providing for their testimony that it may not fail. He's given them things to do that like C.S. Lewis said, (laughs) we're not here to argue that God's not doing our best good. We're just here to see how difficult the best good may actually be. At the very beginning, at the very beginning where Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 24 that listen, if this day wasn't cut short, nobody's going to make it. At the very beginning, we saw the Lord cut it short. He says, wait, stop, hold on. Don't do anything until I've marked my people. And when I've marked my people, oh sure, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmocratorists, the world holders, they may come out. but my wrath will never fall on them for my son has paid their price. In chapter 10 and 11, we see exactly what the Lord requires of his people that that promise may be fulfilled. We'll pick up there next week. Anthony, pray for us, man.